Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hi, I'm Laura. My friends and I have recently started reading the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament of the Bible. It begins with a thought-provoking passage that claims that it's setting before us the truth. And we were thinking about this and talking about this um, partly in light of the fact that we also just watched the movie and read the book A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And we were talking about how some people say that it takes a leap of faith to believe these things. And I don't like that phrase, and I'm going to try and give you a little metaphor to tell you why I don't like it. The the phrase, a leap of faith, is an attempt to explain how some people can see the same evidence and come to different conclusions. Applied to something like, who washed the dishes when I wasn't looking, it sounds like this. Who is tall enough to reach the sink? Who is known to be reliable about helping out? Who does things a certain way, leaving telltale signs such as how the dishes were stacked? Who was known to be home during that time? Who said he was going to wash the dishes? Who says he did wash the dishes? And did anyone see who washed the dishes? Somewhere along the line, a person decides there is enough information and whether or not he trusts the resources, and then he makes an informed decision about who washed the dishes. But what if another person sees much of the same evidence and doesn't really care to think much about who washed the dishes, so he just guesses something that sounds interesting? Or maybe another person says that the dishes must have washed themselves, thereby discounting any evidence to the contrary. Have they all taken an equal leap of faith to their own conclusions? Are all the conclusions equally well-based? Let's talk a minute about faith first. A lot of people equate faith with superstition or, you might say, blind belief. But the word faith itself implies having a reason to believe, a reason to have faith. Now, people certainly can be mistaken They can say they have faith in something without checking it out, but the word itself does not imply an empty-headedness or a superstition. To say that a leap of faith is needed to believe in the God-Creator-Savior is an attempt to discount the wide variety of sound evidence in creation, within ourselves, and in historical records. Some people come to mistaken conclusions because— Other people do make up a bunch of religious nonsense and then try to act like all beliefs are equally valid. Other times it is an honest mistake because people have been misled by twisted philosophies of life. Sometimes people just resist God like a two-year-old resists bedtime. I find myself asking, when will it be enough evidence? In human relationships, there is often a desire for regular affirmation, even though there is a long history of acting, active caring by someone else. In the moment of loneliness or stress, sometimes people forget all the previous evidence, all that the other person has done out of love. 
The person who has worked so hard to show all the love could rightly ask, When will there be enough evidence that I love you? Fortunately, God is very patient. In spite of the general arrogance of mankind, He keeps giving us evidence, as daily as the sun rises, as deep as the mystery of music. This is the opening message of Luke's Gospel. Things have been accomplished and seen by many. They are being shared so that you can know the exact truth. Now I'm going to read chapter 1, keeping in mind that the chapter demarcations are things that are added later by people who just wanted to be able to talk about where to find this part or where to find that part. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. 
When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. 
But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. That's the end of chapter one. Obviously, I was pronouncing those Hebrew names, as I have learned to say them in English, and a couple of the ones that are less common I may have butchered a little bit. I hope you will forgive me. I'm just going to go back and mention a couple of things that we thought were interesting. One was in the first four, four verses where Luke makes such a point that this is from eyewitness accounts and that has been carefully investigated so that the exactness of it will be sure. Another thing is kind of along the same lines of how much evidence do you need with um, some humility, because who knows how any of us would have been in the exact circumstances. You kind of have to giggle at Zacharias. Here he has the mighty angel Gabriel who has appeared to him. This is not a common occurrence. And he says, well, how will I know what you are saying is true? You would think just seeing the angel would be enough to verify that. We also noted how the angel Gabriel appeared directly to Mary. He didn't go to her betrothed husband until after she had accepted the assignment. He didn't go to her father and get it told that way. He went right to her. We did wonder a little bit about exactly when the child or the man went to live in the deserts until his day of public appearance. I have been reading from the updated New American Standard Version of the Bible. I would love to hear in the comments different things that you thought stood out to you or were particularly interesting in chapter 1 of Luke.
See you next time. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.